one of the most prominent and what I would also call destructive features of the current cultural moment is the elevation of what you might consider a collective ethnic identity. And it's elevated to such an exaggerated degree that our society has become dangerously and sadly splintered. We frequently hear terms like white America and black America, and these are used to identify mass swaths of the population based solely upon their skin color. And we all know that politicians and professors and pundits love to segment individuals into their respective quote-unquote communities. So you have the African-American community, or you might have the Latino community, or you could have the LGBTQIA community, et cetera, et cetera. And the clear implication of this is that every individual, of course, derives his or her core identity from these comprehensively defining characteristics like ethnicity or sexual preference. Well, sadly, this trend has intensified even in the church among professing Christians. We're not immune to this trend. Well, hello everyone. I'm Richard Goff and welcome to the Building Faith Podcast. In a moment, Shane Kohler, teaching pastor at Faith Community Church in Woodstock, Georgia, will join me for what will be our fifth episode in the series on racial tension. And we're going to have a discussion about this fundamental issue of identity. But we're going to discuss it from a biblical perspective. We're going to look into God's word and we're going to seek to answer the very important question, who are you? So stay tuned. So Shane, last time we were together, we took up this sort of broad question, who's to blame in all this racial tension that we're uh, experiencing and observing in our culture today, and really looked at this issue of collectivism, collective guilt versus individual responsibility. Um, Where are we headed today? Well, I wanted to, again, just kind of uh, unpack a little bit more of that, uh, I guess you might say, biblical view of ourselves who we really are in Christ, uh, because as long as we are allowing the world to define who we are, then they're going to very much control the way that we look at the world and think of the world. And the world has been, you know, obviously studying uh, itself, its society, or, or we call it sociology and psychology, has been studying itself for a long time and has reached uh, various conclusions. I wanted to say firm conclusions about itself, but nothing's firm. It's no. always changing. But, but by and large, you know, uh, it has adopted a more and more materialistic, uh, you know, I would say sort of a secular scientific view of itself. Uh, you know, not that not that far afield of what B.F. Skinner many years ago uh, sort of articulated in his book about behaviorism. Uh, when he basically laid out this idea that we are just products of the environment that we're in, hmm. plain and simple, almost inescapable, or uh, you know what some people call determinism, that that you have ultimately very little control over who you become because you're nothing more than the product of the you know home environment that you're in the the uh, you know broader 
national culture that you're in, the ethnic makeup that you're in, the educational strata, uh, economic strata that you're in, all of that stuff just sort of goes into who you are and, and you hopelessly are there. Hmm. And uh, this, is a, this is a view of the, world, of the world and a view of human nature that is fundamentally opposed to Scripture. It's, it's uh, unsupernatural to begin with. Doesn't understand the power of this, the, the of the gospel to to penetrate that. But you know, I would say you know even at a more basic level, it it undermines and attacks the image of God and uh, what the Scripture teaches us about how God has made each one of us and made each one of us uh, individually. It has implications for you know the way that we. Um, are even viewing human actions and responsibilities today, uh, the way that people deal with criminals. You know, a criminal is not responsible for his crime so much anymore, and so society doesn't need to so much punish him as it needs to coddle him. It needs to understand the um, sort of influences that made him who he is and uh, find excuses in many ways to to do away with him. I mean, it's it manifests itself today in, in some of the almost unbelievably ludicrous calls for, uh, you know, to, to replace law enforcement officers with therapists. Mm. Uh, that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. You know, our problem is not that we need to deal with these people who are, who are uh, violent criminals or, or rapists or something like that. Our problem is that we just need to understand the influences that made them who they are. Right. Well, this is, this is essentially, you know, the, this materialistic scientific view of the world that you're almost hopelessly and helplessly the victim of your circumstances, the product of your circumstances. But this is not a biblical view. It's not the way that the Scripture would have us view ourselves or describe us as ourselves. And, and uh, you know, it makes us where we almost you know, uh, not only have no control, but we have no responsibility anymore for, for who we are. Now, you know, there's some, like I said, at the basic level, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some conflict between that view and the Scripture. The Scripture views us as, as made in the image of God and distinct from animals, uh, the rest of creation, in that role. But even as a uh, you know, a part of that distinction, we have certain uh, characteristics and qualities. We have conscience. You know, every one of us has a conscience that we interact with on a daily basis. We have what really is, I would call, you know, a biblical view of freedom. Augustine talked about this, you know, so many years ago. He uses the word, uh, you know, passe uh, non peccare was his word. Able not to sin would be a translation of that. That's how, that's how humanity was born into the world. They were born with this essential freedom, um, with this ability to choose not to sin, but they lost that freedom when they fell into sin. The Garden of Eden and the transgression of, of Adam and Eve, man lost the capacity uh, of freedom to not sin. Uh, he didn't lose the capacity for choice, which is something different, but he lost true freedom, which is the freedom not to sin. Now, 
he had what uh, Augustine called non passe non capare, which was he no longer had the ability not to sin. He sinned as a slave to sin, but he sinned willfully. Mm -hmm. His will was so corrupted that he was doing exactly what he freely chose to do, which is to sin. So there was freedom in that sense. There was choice, individual choice, but the individual choice was driven by a corrupted heart and nature. Mm. And all of this stuff comes from individual corruption, individual responsibility, individual nature. However, uh, we are not left in that state when we come to know Christ. When we come to know Christ, the Scripture says that we are remade in the image of God, in the likeness of God. We're renewed in Christ. I think it's uh, Colossians 3 that talks about this. In verse 10, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That's a reference back to the image of man, the image of its creator, back in Genesis chapter 1. So we, as uh, human beings, are made in the image of God, and yet because of the fall, uh, that image is marred, it is corrupted because of sin. But when the gospel is preached, and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, and the truth invades our life and sets us free, then that image is restored, and we are remade in that way. And this is what Augustine talked about, that state of the regenerate person then is, once again, passe non capare, being able not to sin. So, uh, you know, we were restored back to that where we have a restored freedom. Now, we're still in this fallen flesh, and in that sense, you know, we're doing battle with, with um, you know, this weak vessel that we're still entrapped in. There's a so, sort of a weakness to our, uh, to our non-glorified bodies, but we have regenerate hearts. Hmm. And the regenerate hearts have restored us to this capacity of being able not to sin. So, so that's sort of the biblical framework of thinking of man. We're not just some sort of a product of our environment or just the biological makeup of who we are, but there are real spiritual realities to you know, our heart and mind that are way more deterministic of, of uh, us individually than just simply the, you know, uh, the, the, the materialistic world that's around us. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that your parents don't have an influence on you. I'm not saying that your schooling doesn't have an influence on you. No one, no one would say that. But throughout that entire time, we are interacting with those things so that, you know, you... Um, or me, if we have siblings and brothers and we're brought up in the same environment and in the same parenting and the same sort of uh, socioeconomic strata, we might wind up in very different places sure. than our siblings because we're not just simply the product of those things. Because God is able to work you know, in our heart and do uh, certain things. And of course, glory be to Him. Now, this is the glorious thing that you find whenever you actually look at the Scripture is that 
you find that when the New Testament writers speak of Christians, they speak of them as having this sort of fundamental new identity in Christ. You know, even if they even if they were a part of that sort of fallen world, fallen culture around them with all of its, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, influences, and to some extent they were following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air who's at work in the sons of disobedience. They might even be sort of flowing along with all the sins of society and in that sense, in, 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 you know, impacted by the environment around them. But when they come to Christ, they're different. They're fundamentally different. Even there in Colossians, you know, he goes on to say in the very next verse, after having been renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, he says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So it's really remarkable you know, when you, we were talking about collectivism in our last uh, podcast, really remarkable, but Paul has no notion that you're just simply some sort of dot in a, you know, sort of collective, uh, you know, uh, 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 pencil drawing of society. He has no notion that you're just one pixel on a screen, you know, rendering a, a larger picture. He looks at each one of us as now, no matter what our background Social, slaver-free, um, ethnic, barbarian, Scythian, Jew, uh, religious—you know, circumcised, uncircumcised—it doesn't matter. Yeah, what that background is, you are now a new creature in Christ. And this is not this is not a um, a statement of or a declaration that now you know the right message for in the midst of this racial turmoil is that, you know, Christianity or the message of the gospel is to create a colorblind society or some kind of monochromatic kind of view of the world. It's that we are called to be first and foremost new creations in Christ. And the mission that we're on is a mission of reconciliation and redemption. We're redeeming we're about the business of redemption, the, the mission of redemption, but it doesn't mean that there's not going to be um, distinctive, you know, historical, cultural characteristics about us or, you know, uh, um, different dialects. We speak different languages. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. still, there's still the differences that we all possess. But, but the fundamental identity is not in those things. And what's happening right now is is the um these distinctions that the apostle Paul sort of says there's no longer these mm-hmm. things those things are putting for front and center as the most important characteristic of any individual or group of individuals that's front and center that's first and foremost yeah, another way to say this is that there was no hyphenated christian yeah in the new testament what you didn't introduce yourself say well you know i'm i'm a scythian christian uh, or I'm a barbarian Christian, or I'm a, a Jew Christian. Yeah, people didn't do that. I mean, that was that would be looked at as so contrary to what the gospel was really all about. You know, it wasn't like I'm a black Christian or I'm a white Christian right. or I'm a whatever. You know, they they didn't have hyphenated identities. Yeah, 
their new identity was in Christ, and they recognized the diversity only in as much as God has brought about unity through all of that stuff. And it was celebrated, you know, not that their, 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 their unity was celebrated in the sense that it overcame all of those old diversities, but it only overcame it because people embraced the new identity. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, just as I've been thinking about this whole issue, you know, Paul, uh, as a Jew, or Peter, or any of the other 12 apostles for that matter, they never looked at their Gentile Christian friends as somehow a part of a separate collective. They didn't hold them culpable for Roman oppression. And that was a bad uh, sort of administration that they were all under. Yeah. The, the Caesar and the, and the Roman uh, soldiers, you talk about abuse. Uh, you, you know, you, you talk about injustices. They were taking place left and right, day in and day out, and they were real. And uh, they had significant consequence at individual level and, and national level. And yet Paul never, never went after Gentile Christians who came out of the Roman identity that they were born into and came into the—he never looked at them and, and said, you know what, you, you, you're a product. You're just a product of that society. You collectively bear responsibility. Because whether you're a Christian or not, you really are first and foremost a part of Roman society. Yeah. No, he looked at them as completely new. Yeah. Completely new creatures. Uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, this is repeated a number of times. Galatians 3, you know, says, you know, we've put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Even your gender background, to some extent, is, is subsumed under this, this whole thing. But what's really interesting to me is that Jesus takes this to such a fundamental level. He, he came to fundamentally dislodge men and women from some of their most basic collective groups. Mm. Listen to this out of Matthew. Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Now, uh, we're not going to take a lot of time to to, to really uh, dive into this, but needless to say that Jesus was using hyperbolic language. He was using extreme language to make a point. He didn't literally want us hating our father and mother, but what he's saying is, your new identity to me as your Savior is going to be so fundamental to who you are that it's going to dislodge you from some of the most basic fundamental identities that you've had in the past, even down to your own family. So, so now, not only do we not view ourselves primarily from our ethnic background or even our social uh, economic background, we don't even view ourselves primarily from our blood relational background. Yeah. I mean, you talk about radical dislodgement. So, so, so we have taken on this sort of otherworldliness that doesn't identify primarily with anything in this world. Yeah. Even our most basic family structure. So it's really, really sad to me when any so-called Christian today would be out there and making 
their primary focus and identity would be making that sort of uh, um, that maybe their ethnic background yeah. or their social structure rather than their brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, not only that, but it, it it's a, it's a it's a it has this tendency to um, sort of take on some of the characteristics of sort of the identity politics ideology or, or the, the, you know, so to where it's, it becomes so clear because if you, for example, what it means to be black or white right now um, doesn't necessarily have to be associated with your skin color. Mm-hmm. Because I know for a fact that there are people who are, Ethnically, and by skin color, black. They're African American, and that's their ethnic background, their ethnic heritage, or whatever. And yet, they would be rejected as being black because of their theological disposition, or their theological convictions, or maybe even their political convictions. And so, if you find yourself in the body of Christ, sort of adopting some of those ideas and kind of merging them into your view and interaction and expectations of other people in the body of Christ, you're basically adopting something that is divisive in nature, not not according mm-hmm. to these passages that you've read and unifying us in our identity in Christ. In so many ways, that's the social tell. Yeah. You know, forensic uh, behavioral uh, is, uh, 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 investigators, they have these sort of uh, tells, you know, when they're when they're talking to someone, the you know way you nod your head or blink your eyes or something like that. Well, when these people are out there basically admitting that it really doesn't matter what your skin color is, yeah, it is your 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 sort of positions that you hold that are going to define whether or not you are identified as you know black enough or white. You know, we talk about whiteness, yeah and uh, blackness rather than just white or black people now. That is the, the, the sort of the, the behavioral tell yeah. to, to, to help you understand that this really even goes beyond um, you know, just simply the, the, the circumstances in which you're born into. This is an ideology yeah. that is seeking to, di- to displace Christ. Yeah, it's an undermining to the gospel ideology. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned identity, identity politics, which has you know, become a familiar term, but that just belies the fact that when we buy into this, we basically make ourselves subject to manipulation. Yeah. Because the political structures are eager to separate us into these classes yeah. in order to pit us against one another and manipulate us. When, as the church and as Jesus Christ, I don't identify with any of that stuff. Yeah, I don't identify with a political party. I don't identify with a social structure. I don't identify with an ethnic structure. I am not any of that stuff. I am in Christ. Yeah, and uh, and that's that is so central to the New Testament. It is not a peripheral idea. Yeah. Uh, so it's. It's sad to see that the church is incapable in this moment of crisis. It's incapable of even identifying who they are. But there is a beauty, too, when you do see the church being the church, and you see individual believers who are obviously coming 
into the body of Christ from very different potentially ethnic backgrounds, possibly socioeconomic backgrounds, family heritage, whatever it might be, and yet they are more alike and like-minded, not because of any of that, but because of their like precious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see that, not just see it, but when you are are experiencing it in fellowship with other believers, it it is it's the most powerful sort of relationship dynamic that I even know how to describe or characterize. Amen. I mean, I'm thinking right now specific people who I fellowship with, who if I look at them and they look at me from specific uh, sort of external sociological, socially quote unquote constructed characteristics. We couldn't be more different. We we couldn't be more necessarily placed in opposite even in even opposing camps. But the fellowship that we share is as rich as anything I know mm-hmm. because of our common, precious, genuine faith and identity in Christ. You you couldn't you, you couldn't sort of um validate the truth of God's word in the passages that you're referencing any more than just by describing what genuine life in the genuine body of Christ actually looks like. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you're right. That is a powerful, amazing thing. I, I'm with a brother who has a different skin color and, uh, and fellowshipping with him and feel just, just powerfully by the work of the Spirit a more natural, yep. strong, loyal connection to him yep. than I do to my blood relatives. Yep. And it's the power of the Spirit that does that. Yep. You can't explain it yeah. uh, any other way. A depth of love, an, an affection, a, a joy in relationship, a desire to sacrifice for the other. Yeah. I mean, all these things that we're called to. And, and if, you, if you took us outside our identity as in the body of Christ, as in Christ, both individually as well as being brought together into the body of Christ together collectively— you took us outside of that and put us into just this whole cultural morass that we're in right now, and we would we would we couldn't play on the same team. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the, I guess the, the the other part of that is you know because of that deep love um, that you have for those who are coming from a different background, it genuinely grieves you to know when they suffer. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the realities of this whole uh, sort of crisis that we're in is, you know, we are hearing and understanding uh, more than we ever have some of the, some of the genuine sort of social uh, dynamics that our minority brothers and sisters have to navigate through. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is a part of this this oneness and unity in Christ is wanting, you know, to know how can we as as a church respond to that how can we as an individual respond to that uh, you know what can we do in the midst of this crisis to not only uh, love our brothers and sisters who are you know in the church and might be coming from minority culture but but what can we do as a church to help sort of shine a light in the midst of this crazy dark society that we're in. So but we really need to kind of explore that yeah. uh, a little bit. 
So what can we do? That's our next question, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, that'll be a good one. All right, we'll look forward to that. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to being together again soon. All right.